Ladies and gentlemen, Aesthetic Soundwaves is in association with Ruckus Avenue Radio. Go check them out at www.ruckusavenueradio.com. That's Ruckus, spelled R-U-K-U-S. And, like always, proudly supported by Dilla's Delights in downtown Detroit, 242 John R. Street. Make sure to go check them out. Now... Back to our regularly scheduled program. Ah, uh, look, bud, when I want quiz programs, I turn on the radio. Who are you, anyway? Sophie Tucker off the vinyl album Let Us Not Forget, a tribute to the phonograph, recorded in 1906, published by Yorkshire Records in 1973. Folks, welcome back to another episode of Aesthetic Soundwaves AS. I am your host, Glass. I only have 11 minutes of talking time today, so I'm going to be brief. But to my points, which is a point show, I have actually four points on this show. I'll nail them out after each segment, so bear with me. However, first and foremost, thank you. Shout out to World and Universe for the tune-ins everyone, everywhere. World Strong, 
energy conversion keep your heads up that goes for the same for the next shout out Detroit keep your heads up um, you already know you already know we got this new listeners Mississippi my boy nostalgic over there in the Windy City Chicago keep doing your thing man I didn't I didn't shout him out last show just because I forgot my bad you already know man you already know my bad I bow to you also, a long-time listener of the program who I need to give some major props to, who supports it very well, Mina, a lady I work with. Thank you. I give her a lot of hassle and grief, and uh, it's about time I show her some respect. So, Mina, thank you. This person, I'm listing your initials only because, AC, you know who you are. Thank you. Much appreciated. Folks, I'm going to get into this first set and this first part i'm getting into some radio dramas and live recordings today because basically in short with when history repeats itself recordings are made and you never know when someone might dig up and hear something of old and it might reflect on now or in the near future whenever so food for thought that being said i'm gonna get into this first thing this is actually the one and only uh this is an old radio drama that Gary Cooper, yeah, that's right, Gary Cooper, right, did back in the day. Sergeant York. It was recorded January 18th, 1942, and put uh, republished off Pelican Records in 1973. Comes off the album Gary Cooper and Clark Gable. Yeah, that Clark Gable is on side B. Not doing that one today. Some other time in the future next season or later. Uh, two complete radio dramas. That being said, folks, let's uh, get into Sergeant York here. I'll be back in a second. America's a young country, but it's got a world of legends told by old men whose father's father see them happen with their own eyes. Tall yarns, mostly, embroidered with a lot of fancy fixings, told and retold until the truth is wore as thin as the seat of the teller's blue jeans. Now, uh, I ain't so old, yet I see the legend. A legend born deep in the Cumberland Mountains of Tennessee. A legend had come to pass on Hill 223, the Argonne, France. Pastor Rosier Pyle's my name, preaching storekeeper. Knowed by everybody in the valley of the Three Forks of the Wolf. My business is to keep folks' immortal souls on the credit side of the Lord's Register. Amen. Hallelujah. But there's some that always would allow that Alvin York was lost to grace. Wild harem scarem riding daft round the countryside, corn liquor in his gullet and the devil whispering in his ear. I recollect the night he busted up my sermon at the meeting house. Come out whooping up the road with Buck a shooting wild. Then galloped off across the cocaine tuck border to drink the devil's brutal, they both was biled.
another bottle of that good old blind tiger special. <laughs> Come on, Alvin. We gotta kill this good old bottle so we can start off on a new one. She's pretty, ain't she? Who's pretty? Gracie. Gracie Williams. You know, I seed her tonight a-going to the meeting house. She's pretty. So that's why you wanted to ride by the church when Pastor Powell was a-preaching, eh? You wanted to show off before Gracie Williams. You know something? I think I'll marry her. Alvin, you're drunk. You're a terrible, awful drunk, or you wouldn't be a-talking that way. No, I ain't neither. I ain't the least bit drunk. And just soon as I'm sober, I'm a-going to ask Gracie to marry me. Alvin, you're plumb crazy as a coop. Besides, didn't you know Zeb Andrews is a walking her steady? Come on now, drink up and forget Gracie. <laughs> what do we drink to? Well, we're drunk to just about everything there. I'll tell you what, let's drink again something. Again what? Again man's greatest enemy. Snakes. Snakes in petticoats, reptiles and dresses. This drink is again gals. The ruination, us men's good times and good drinking. That's a great idea. Here's again all the gals in all creation. Ass up, boy, Alvin. All the gals in all creation. But, but that Gracie Williams is awful pretty. And just as soon as I'm sober, I'm a going up and ask her to marry me. Oh, Alvin. Plays real good, don't you think so, Alvin? Wife here better, better, Miss Gracie. Where and who playing? Just tell me that. Tell me that. Todd Haskins. Todd can't play for shucks. Can. 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 Now, boys, there ain't no call for fussing over a little thing like a playing a mouth organ. I, I ain't a fussing. I were just a telling Zeb. Go on, Zeb. Play some more. I guess some folks not so far away just ain't got no ear for music. It were real nice of you to come up here to see me tonight, Alvin. I got something on my mind. What, Alvin? Uh, I got something on my mind. You have, Alvin? What is it? Uh, well, if you and me could walk down the road a piece. What'd you say, Alvin? I said, I said if you and me could... What, Alvin? <clears throat> I said if somebody don't quit making a racket, I'm going to break his neck for him. You and who else, Alvin York? Me and nobody else, Zeb Andrews. Yeah. Alvin, Zeb, now you stop it. You want to wake up Grandpappy? Alvin started it. You're a-thinking. I'm a-knowing. Now, a hesh up, you two. You wake him up and he'll make me come in. Look, uh, how would you boys like some cider? Well, I'd like a drink right well. So would I. Well, you wait right here and I'll fetch you. It's right out of the press. <laughs> And he lit out. Ain't he coming back? No, ma'am. Alvin, you didn't... You was fighting. Didn't want much. Alvin York, you ain't a fitting to come a-visiting a girl. Uh, Miss Gracie, I'm a-going to marry you. You what? I'm a-going to marry you. Oh, yeah, are you? Alvin York, I wouldn't have you on a Christmas tree. <laughs> Fine husband you'd make. I allow Zeb Andrews would make a better one. I allow he would. Because he's got a piece of bottom land. That's it, ain't it? Maybe it is and maybe it ain't. But all you're good for is fighting and hell-raising. Mm, I reckon if I had me a farm in the bottom land, I reckon it'd make a heap of difference to you. You own a bottom land farm. Well, there ain't nothing I can't get if I put my mind to it, Gracie. Well, you don't think much of yourself, do you? Yes, am I do. That's why I want you to be sure and wait for me. It may take me a spell, but I'll be a-coming back. Good night, Gracie. Alvin! Alvin, wait! Shucks. 
body is think when a body has a body to get married. A body practically says yes to a body. Whoa. A body would think a body would have enough gumption to kiss a body. Sure is funny what love can do to folks. Take Alvin York. From that night on, he never touched another drop. I'd see him nights, walking out across the fields, alone, studying over how he'd get a piece of bottomland for him and Gracie. The farm he finally set his mind to was held indeed by old Nate Watkins. He was a sharp, close trader. Steal your eye teeth if you didn't watch out. See now, uh, thirty dollars for the mule, six dollars for the pullets, four fifty for the fox pelts, uh, nine fifty for the rabbit skins, goose feathers, and clock. How much does that come to, Mr. Watkins? Uh, uh, fifty dollars for the whole caboodle, Alvin. Uh, how much more do I need to get your bottom land? Seventy dollars, payable in sixty days. Hey, that's uh, a lot of money for a fellow like you to get his hands on, Alvin. Yeah, it is. Sixty days is all you got. Sixty days and sixty nights, Mr. Watkins. You see, if I count the nights, too, I got nigh on to four months to pay you off. Don't you worry none, Mr. Watkins. You'll get your money, because I just got to have that piece of bottom land. Sixty days and sixty nights. Getting up at dawn and working far into the night. Split them rails for Zeke. Plow that field for Lem. Four bits. Plus four bits will make a silver dollar to put again the day to pay Nate Watkins. Trap that forks by moonlight. Tote the pelt to Jimtown. Clear that field of rock. Shuck that load of corn. Chew them mules. Dig them holes. Pull them stumps. Load them logs. Sweat and coat. Grunt and pull. Wheezing yanks. Thrown and shovel. Gotta get 70 whole dollars out of the three forks of the wolf to buy a piece of bottom land for Gracie. Light it fine, Alvin. I owe up that trigger finger. Bust it wide open, Alvin. and beef shoots all my life, and I never see the beat of that. Wait a minute, boys. Here's Nate Watkins, and I got some business settled up with him. Howdy, Mr. Watkins. Uh, howdy, Elvin. I'm sure glad to see you. I got your money for, for the bottom land. Here's $46, and the rest will be in that hat. I just won the beef critter. Well, uh, well, uh, I'm mighty sorry, Elvin, but I just sold that land. You, you what? I, I, I sold it to Zeb. But you couldn't do that. We had a bargain. Well, I, I never figured you'd raise the money. But I was trusting your word. Well, business is business, is business, Alvin. What kind of business? Going back on what you promised. Now, Alvin. You know how much I wanted that piece of land. Alvin, if you lay a hand on me. You can't do this to me. You can't do it. Alvin, help, help. Now, careful, Alvin. Hold your horses. You'll just get yourself into trouble, Alvin. Ain't no use of hitting him. He's got the law on his side. Let loose of me. Now, Alvin. Now, let loose of me. I ain't no going to hit him. If you do, I'll have you in jail, Alvin York. 
You ain't worth hitting. Just keep out of my sight, that's all. Keep out of my sight, because every time I see you, I'll be reminded how I've been a-wasting my time. There ain't no sense in a man trying to amount to something. There ain't no sense in a man a-sweating and a-breaking his back to get a little bit more than his pappy had. A man's a fool to be trying to be anything better than he should be. From now on, I'm a-gonna drink and fight and have me the devil's own time from here to the Kaintuck border. And I'm a-warning you, don't nobody try to stop me. Come on, Alvin. Why don't you dance? This year, drink is again Nate Watkins. Oh, forget him. You don't want to farm no how. His word warrant, no count, but... Hey, Alvin, just look at that pap gal yonder. And I promised Gracie, huh? I told her I'd be back and marry her. Why don't you dance with that big woman, Alvin? I'm going back to see Nate Watkins. Uh, not tonight. It's pouring rain. Let go of me, Buck. He won't do you no good to kill him. Let go of me. I've got to settle this here tonight. Alvin, wait. Let's talk. Well... Here's to the soul of Nate Watkins. May it rest in peace. There was Alvin York, a riding with the devil, riding through the storm with a chillin' in his heart. Lightning tore the sky apart and thunder shook the mountains. The Lord was mighty angry with his chillin' down below. Sudden from a mountaintop, a bolt struck down from heaven. Struck the mule and Alvin to the clay from whence he came. Sawed him to his knees with his gun in busted pieces. Let him feel the power and anger of the Lord. Lord, you sure do work in mysterious ways. Then rolling from the meeting house, he heard the joyful voices. Raised in hope and promise to Almighty God above. Singing out his praises full of faith and hope and glory. And calling out to Alvin to come in and find the light. Then rising, feared and humbled, he stumbled toward the churchyard. Pulled hard on the latch string and throwed wide the door. Walked down to the altar and knelt with all the others. To ask for God's salvation to the soul of Alvin York. The proclamation of President Woodrow Wilson designates June 5th, 1917 as Registration Day for every male citizen between the ages of 21 and 31. As Commander-in-Chief of the Army, the President directs... I ain't a-going, Pastor. I just ain't a-going. You gotta go, Alvin. It's the law. Thou shalt not kill. The Bible says that. What kind of law is it that says a man's got to go again that? I know, Alvin. I know what the Lord says. Well, the Lord's been powerful good to me ever since... I found him that night. He's given me Gracie's promise that she'll wait for me till I get that farm. And the way things are going, I'll, it won't be more than two or three years. And I ain't a-going on again the, wor the Lord's word, Pastor Pyle. Well, if you don't go, they'll come after you. Well, I'll go back into them hills. Yeah, and they'll put dogs in your trail. Well, they won't take me. Leastwise, not alive. And if they catch up with me, I'll take a few of them along with me. 
I tell you, I... I'm sorry, Pastor Pyle. I, I didn't know what I was saying. Those were sinful words, but, but what can I do? Why don't you ask the Lord, Elvin? Ask the Lord? Sure. Sure, that's the thing to do, ain't it? And up on that mountain yonder, that's about the closest place a man can get to God. I'll go up there and I'll tell him what I want to know. And he'll give me the right answer. <laughs> God, I'm a speaking to you. My name's Alvin York. I climbed up here as close to the stars as I could get to ask you to help me. Right here in my Bible it says, Thou shalt not kill. Now, it ain't in my mind to go again, you God, but what can I do? Help me. Show me the way. Give me a sign. Your book. Why, the wind tore it right out of my hands. Is, is that your sign? Is that page lying open what you want to tell me? Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Unto Caesar, Caesar's. Unto God, God's. Oh, thank you. I reckon I got my answer. And I reckon it's how I know now what to do. Corporal York, the objective is that Wooded Ridge. Zero hour will be at six hours, ten minutes. Any questions? I got it straight, Captain. Get your men ready. And good luck, York. Corporal York, I'm hit bad. Tell Cutting to take over. Cutting's down, sir. What about Savage? He's down, too, and I cut to pieces. Then it's up to you, York. Take over. Yes, sir. York, come back. Where are you going? You done give me a command, sir. And I aim to stop them machine guns. Headed this way. Hey, give me those binoculars and get company headquarters on the wire. Okay, Sergeant. Yep. Yep, there, Bosch. All right. Hello? Hello? Observation post 101 reporting. Bosch counterattack headed this way. Hey, wait. Wait a minute. Hold it. What's the matter? Those Bosch haven't any rifles. No rifles? What kind of a car? That ain't a Bosch voice. Hello there. You're right, Sarge. That guy's a Yank. <laughs> Who goes there? Special detail, 328 and some prisoners. How many prisoners? 132. Okay, advance will be... How many did you say? 132. Oh, wait, hold on just a minute. Uh, headquarters still on the wire, Sarge. What'll I tell them? Tell them they can start packing to go home. Some son of a gun named York has just captured the whole German army. story of the man from Tennessee, and it made men's hearts beat faster, made their faith a little greater, made them pray a little longer, and gave them strength for victory. Oh, they covered him with honors, 
the Distinguished Service Cross, the Croix de Guerre, the Congressional Medal of Honor. And the president shook his hand while the nation called him hero, praised his name throughout the land. But the man they always cheering heard their voices, not at all. He was thinking of some mountains where the pines are straight and tall, and of a valley, of a river, and of a girl, and how she'd stand of a peaceful Sunday morning when the choir sang Beulah Land. Gosh, Tracy, it sure is good to be home. Sure is good to have you home, Alvin. Let's walk down the way a piece and look at that bottomland farm you was trying to get for us. All right, only it ain't much good looking at it now. We got to wait. How long, Alvin? Oh, two, three years, anyhow. But I ain't willing to wait, Alvin. You ain't? No, but hey. Well, uh, I, I don't blame you none. The girl's got to do as she sees fit. I hope you and him will be very happy. Me and who? Zip Andrews, of course. Zip's got a good farm. Now, look at here, Alvin York. If I wanted Zeb Andrews for a husband, I reckon I could get him without your acting so noble. Now, get this straight. I ain't marrying a piece of land or beef critters or a field of corn. It's you I'm marrying. It ain't nobody else in this here world. I done kissed you, didn't I? Well, don't go around kissing me and I ain't going to be marrying. So don't you talk that way to me again, Alvin York. Don't you ever. Why, why Gracie. You got no excuse to run off on your promise to marry me. But Gracie, don't you see that I, oh, I can't? Judith, don't see her. You're blind, Elvis. Look down there. Don't you see that new house and barn and everything? Say, say, they sure are handsome. Did Zeb build them? Mm -mm, they're yours. Your farm, Alvin. Mine. They done give it to you. The people of the state of Tennessee. For what you done? Gracie, you don't, you don't mean that they... Only they 200 went. acres, and there's a pump in the kitchen and more real glass windows than you ever saw. Why, Grace, but I... Well, I... Well, what, Alvin? Well, uh, the Lord sure does move in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. Folks, this is uh, one <laughs> one quick word here, actually, and this is just redemption. That's what this is, and uh, we can change ourselves, but it is all willpower and up to us. I won't speak any more time, but uh, that's major point. So I'm going to build into the next one, and we're getting to that. This is called Whitlin. Yeah, like Whitlin, right? Or Whitlin, if you want to get correct. But anyway, Whitlin. Uh, this comes off the album Voices of Lynchburg. I'm playing off the idea of Tennessee a little bit. One major, main, yeah, excuse me. One, me. one main reason why is because, well, I have family who comes from Tennessee, and that's that, and it's very fond memories of my grandpa especially the accent so that being said this was pro this was actually a production of the tennessee squire association no date on the record apologize 
Let's just get into this, though. You'll get an idea of what Whitlin is. This is something I did when I was a kid. I'll be back in a second. You bring your troubles and I'll bring mine. We'll heap them all in a pile. And then we'll cast them all aside and set and whittle a while, a while, and laugh and whittle a while. A lot of people would... Uh wonder why anybody just won't sit and whittle not be making anything that'd be that'd be too much like work just making something all these sweaters are not noted for working too hard anyhow or too often it's just one of those habits that you can uh, get into you take a whittler he just like <coughs> granny used to be sitting in the knitting he ain't even thinking about whittling he's thinking about uh some big tail that he's fixing tail as soon as he gets a chance to butt in. Because any time you can get three or four whittlers together, I'll guarantee you, you'll get an argument. It don't make any difference what subject you bring up. And you can't win no arguments without getting your story together. And so you can't, you can't be thinking about whittling and win no arguments. And you don't ever win an argument no how, but then. <laughs> now you can take a nervous businessman He'll carry a little doohickey around his pocket to keep his hands busy and quiet his nerves after a hard day at the office. Many people carry a lucky Tennessee Buckeye for the same reason. But down here in Lanesburg, well, we just sit and whittle. Oh, it's a pastime and a therapy, too. Beats uh, rubbing a morning stone or something like that. And it... If you, when you get too old to walk, why, walking, of course, is the best pastime in the world. <coughs> when you get too old to walk, why you can sit around and whittle. You get the same effect. You don't, you don't uh, lose any energy from whittling. Yeah, because you expend very little. Well, fellas going to whittle, the first thing he's going to do any good at it, he's got to have a good pocket knife and a good piece of straight grain cedar to whittle on. You take these old-time whittlers, well, they, they take uh, great pride running that shaving from one end of the stick to the other, making it of a uniform size, make it curl as it comes off of there and be a real fine shaving. And you can take an amateur, a guy that's nice not right or he's not used to whittling, and you can just look at his shaving even if you don't see the man until he's an amateur. Just kind of like... Uh, a lot of other things, there's a, there's a certain knack to it, but there may be no two whittlers that whittle just exactly the same way. Hey, you can move the knife or move the stick. I move the stick most of the time. A lot of it depends on the piece of wood. They keep that stick in his hip pocket most of the time. It depends on the conversation and the company as to how long that stick lasts. Some days it may be sort of busy and not get to whittle too much, and some days it's raining or something, he's sitting around the courthouse yard and arguing politics, and he may whittle up a stick before the day is gone. So it, it, it will vary, but I'd say average whittler whittle about three or four of those sticks a week. So good whittling. And if you're ever in Lynchburg, join us on the bench in front of the Lynchburg hardware store 
Or the courthouse yard if the weather's too rough up at Price's service station. Or just sitting in wood and studying about nothing in particular. <laughs> Rest in peace, Grandpa. Something he actually taught me. M many things. A man of wisdom. To this day. Needless to say, I probably wasn't the best Whittler. And still not when I do do it. But hey, you know, I'm trying. So, that being said though, folks. Some things that are interesting about this. Okay? In there, basically he states, You can't argue while you're Whitlin, And you can't whittle while you're arguing. Right? That boils down to two words here, and this is a very Zen-type thought. Observance and mindfulness. That's really what I got to say all to that, okay? So, that being said, let me build in to the next one. This next one comes off the same beginning record, Let Us Not Forget, for the intro song. It was a compilation of old phonograph recordings, okay? And this is Lieutenant Ernest Shackleton. Yep, that's it. He actually recorded this in the Antarctic when uh, he journeyed to the South Pole in 1907. So, that being said, let me build into this. Real coolest, and you've never heard this before. First time, you'll love it. Be back. Main results of the British Antarctic Expedition of 1907 under my command are as follows. We reached a point within 97 geographical miles of the South Pole. The only thing that stopped us from reaching the actual point was the lack of 50 pounds of food. Another party reached for the first time the South Magnetic Pole. Another party reached the summit of a great active volcano, Mount Erebus. We made many interesting geological and scientific discoveries and had many narrow escapes throughout the whole time. A typical narrow escape was when we were going up the great glacier towards the pole. We were marching along, three of us harnessed to one sled in very bad light. Our last pony was being led by another man with uh, 500 pounds of stores. All of a sudden, we heard a shout of help from the man behind. We looked round and saw him supporting himself by his elbows on the edge of a chasm. There was no sign of the pony, and the sledge was jammed with its bow in the crevasse. We rushed back and helped the man out, and then hauled the sledge out. Then we lay down to have a look, but nothing but a black dust lay below. The pony may have fallen a thousand or a thousand five hundred feet. Anyhow, he's gone. What has happened was this. We, the first three, with our weight distributors, crossed in safety in the bad light, the bridge over an unseen chasm. The weight of the pony following was too much it crashed through, but the swingle tree of the sledge snapped, and that saved the sledge. The man leading the pony said that he just felt a rushing sort of wind. The rope was torn out of his hand, 
He flung himself forward and thus escaped. After this, we four men had uh, a thousand pounds to pull, and we were unable to pull the whole load at once, so we had to relay. That is, we hauled half our load for a mile, then we walked back a mile, and then we hauled the other half up. So for every mile we gained to the south, we had to cover three to do it. And slowly we arose up the largest and the longest glacier in the world, some days spending 12 hours doing three miles, other times spending nearly half the day hauling each sledge up by means of the alpine rope. And thus we went along, and thus we returned, having done a work that has resulted with their in great advantage to science, and for the first time returning without the loss of a single human life. And throughout all this, I was helped by a party of men who were regardless of themselves and only thinking of the good of the expedition. I, Ernest Shackleton, have today, March the 30th, dictated this record. The history behind the whole Shackleton journey is an interesting one in its own right, somewhat controversial. But moral story, though, here is when you still boil it down to a lot of things, it boils down to about three, four words here, okay? And this is what I have written down on my paper. Ability, willingness, motivation, and perseverance. And that's really what that if you think about at that time, 1907, yeah, right, going down there. So, that being said, let's uh, let's get into the next part. I'm going back to Juju, Voices of Lynchburg album again, Tennessee. The title of this one is called A Country Banker. I'll let this part speak for itself. I'll be back in a second. <laughs> Set by his word, a great deal of store. He gave it, but kept it, no matter the chore. And so to his neighbors and friends untold, his word became precious, more precious than gold. I'm the oldest living relative of Jack Daniel. I will be 91 years old in May. I guess there's hardly a community in the country that doesn't have at least one citizen at one time or another who would qualify as being a legend in his own time. Around Lynchburg, we always think of Mr. Tom Motlow that way. Mr. Tom was our town banker. He ran the farmer's bank here all of his adult life, for about 67 years, actually. He was a modest man. <clears throat> You'd never hear him bragging on how he won Phi Beta Kappa in college in classical literature, or how each year the top economist would interview him to get his forecast for the financial future of the country. No, Mr. Tom wasn't like that. He was, uh, well, I could tell you story after story about Mr. Tom, but uh, 
I don't guess I will. I think you'd much rather listen to him tell you himself. I went to school at fine school at Mulberry. And at the public school here, then I went to Webb School at Bellbuckle. Graduated there and went from there to Vanderbilt. And two months before I graduated in 1901, <clears throat> I got a letter. And two young fellas had a brother, one of his brother and one a cousin, wrote me. Says, we bought the bank at Lynchburg yesterday and look at you cashier. You're the cashier now. Full authority. <laughs> well, I had other preparations made. I had no idea. I didn't know nothing of banking. Only bank I'd ever had, I had a little $100 deposit, perhaps, in the bank. So I went out, and I went down and talked to the head of Falls Business College, Dr. Alexander Fall. He says, uh, he says well, you have two months before you graduated Vanderbilt, you come down and I'll give you an hour. You give me an hour and I'll instruct you an hour every day. And in two months, I believe I can make a country banker out of you. And finally, the day I graduated in uh, Vanderbilt that morning, I was a valedictorian. I had that honor. <laughs> Why, well, I went on there that night, got a certificate that afternoon from uh, Dr. Alexander Paul. So I was a graduate of Webb School in Vanderbilt and certificate from Paul's Business College. I started home then, the next day. That night then, there's something peculiar happened. Old man, great old banker, the one of the famous, one of the greatest country bankers in the state of Tennessee, called Liam Ponlua, and said, Liam. Is that brother of yours going to the bank Monday morning? Them said, yes. He said, you know what I'm going to do this Saturday night? I'm going to get up in the morning at 4 o'clock. And I'm going to have got a good team. And I get down there at 8 o'clock. I want to eat breakfast with you. And I want to talk to that boy all day long. He said, you can listen in if you want to, but I'm going to talk to him. At 8 o'clock the next morning, Mr. Walden came in. We ate breakfast, he went to talking. And all day long, except a half an hour at noon, he talked on banking. And that night at 6.30, he started home. He got about 200 yards up the road. <laughs> he stopped. And he hollered back and said, Oh, Tom, says, come up here, I want to talk one a little bit longer. And he said, there's one thing I forgot to tell you. If you want to ever buy money, you call New York. Man, bill, and wire. New York. I said, what do you mean by buying money, Mr. Wally? He said, you'll know exactly what you mean when the time comes. Goodbye, Tom. The last time I ever saw the old man. When he died, I went to his beard. I looked at him. I loved him as long as he lived. On uh, <clears throat> November the 3rd, 1907, I went down to the bank. Telephone rang. It says, there's a telegram here for you. And our New York correspondent uh, had a wire. The New York clearinghouse this morning passed a resolution there would be no more cash paid till further notice. All's on a script basis. No more money that's going to be paid out because New York is on a panic. 
I happened to think of Man Building Warehouse. And six years later, I called Man Building Warehouse and said, You got plenty of money? They said, Millions of dollars, any amount you want. They said, I said, What's the price? They said, Seventy dollars a thousand. <laughs> we uh, then paid in full. And we were the only bank that I knew of in Tennessee that paid every dollar. Paid every dollar. And the examiner came on later on when we had it. He said, who gave you permission to spend money that way? I said, it was the best advertisement a bank ever made in the world. And after that, the bank progressed rapidly for that reputation. J. Pierpont Morgan was a powerful man. And he started the biggest thing that was ever started in the history of the world, the United States Steel Corporation. That stock went up to I was in Chicago in 1929 in June, the top, the top day of the boom. And they were selling that stock that had gone from 40 to $260 a share. And I saw a little girl go into the broker's office. And I saw her buy 10 shares of United States Steel stock for $206 and put up $150 margin. <laughs> I went to the president of the biggest bank in between New York and California. I said, the big bankers of America have gone insane. I said, my friend, let me tell you, there's not going to be a panic this time. Now, in 1893, there was a panic, and in 1907, there was a panic. But this is going to be a cataclysm. And I, they wouldn't listen. And one man says, uh, who are you anyway? One, one of them so I said, I come from Lynchburg. Oh, very good town, Lynchburg, Virginia. No, I said, Lynchburg, Tennessee, 400. He says, what are you going on? I said, I'm going on horse sense. Horse sense. He says, horse sense? He says, do you sleep in a stable? I said, no, but I've got more sense than to loan uh, $240 on United States Steel Corporation. I said, I'm going home. And I went and got my grip, and I went home and traveled all night long. I got here the next day, and I sold everything we had in the bank. Every negotiable thing we had, all the bonds, everything we had. United States Steel dropped. It did stop till it got out of $22 and a half a share from $262 to and a half. That trip was worth $100,000. But I, the most interesting thing, though, to me, when I went in the bank, I'd been there one day, and in walked a man named John Davis. He, John, didn't know a thing in the world. <laughs> he didn't know his alphabet, probably. But he lived out in the woods, and I knew him. And we'd go squirrel hunting and chestnut hunting. I'd go and uh, we, I'd go there and we'd get him, and he knew where the squirrels were. And he, I loved him. He's a good, good old ignorant man and friendly. <laughs> he walked in early in the morning. He said, "Tom, are you here to this bank now?" <laughs> I said, "John, I tell you, I don't know whether I'm head or foot. I'm in here." Well, he said, you know what I did? I came here 40 years ago. I never got over 75 cents a day in my life for a day's work. 
And when I come, I bought a little piece of land up here on the hillside. And I took my 40 years to pay for it. And yesterday, I sold it. I got $1,500 cash from Mr. Lee Roten. He just reached in his pocket. His brother buddy shoved it through. He said, take care of it. I said, John, no, I hold on. That's mighty nice. I'll give you a receipt. He said, no. I don't want it a paper. <laughs> when I want my money, I'll come in and get it, Tom. And it'll be there, too. And he just turned and went out the door. I went back and I said to say, I says, the object of my life in this bank is going to be to pay John Davis and men like that to trust me if it takes my life. And ever since then, my whole idea has been solvency and, and no disappointment. <clears throat> and it has been wonderful. More precious than gold. You know what that all boils down to there, folks? Humbleness and respect. I don't have to say anymore, right? It said it itself. And in the end, that's how, how we want people to look at us. We all are human. We all have flaws. But in the end, we want people to remember us by the good things we did and not the bad things we did. So, in short, right, what all of this sums up to <laughs> is... This basically enlightens us and or just makes a well-balanced individual, I guess you could say, is my kind of abstract thought there. But makes for a good person or a good life even, I guess, right? But life is always a test. So that being said, um, let's get in. We're, you know what? General info, I'll get that next show. But I'm... I have a Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr. You can get in contact with me there. Message me, all that good jazz. So I'm just going to tell you the outro song, and then I'll be out. I'm going to give you a classic radio drama right here. Everyone knows this, or no, radio drama, radio act, comedy, whatever. You can really consider this, but comedy act. Who's on first? Obviously, this is Abbott and Costello off the record. Abbott and Costello on radio radio company made this in 1974 folks this will put some nice laughs and smile on your face today what we all need right so everyone out in the world be safe take care of yourselves stay strong till next time next wave this is your man glass signing now, look, uh, what do you want? Now, look, I mean, after all, if I'm the head of the sport department, I gotta know the baseball players' names. Oh. I mean, and I gotta know the teams that's playing and everything well, else. Well, naturally, I'll... Well, that one team that's playing here this week, do you know the guys' names? Oh, sure. Well, then you go ahead and tell me some of their names. Well, I'll introduce you to the boys. You know, strangers may seem they give these ball players nowadays very peculiar names. Give me funny names. Nicknames, pet names, like Dizzy Dean and... Butter Daffy. Daffy Dean. I'm their cousin. Who are you? Goofy. Goofy, huh? <laughs> well, now, let's see. We have on the bags, we have who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find out. I, I say who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. Are you the fellow that knows all the players? I certainly. Well, then who's on first? Yes. I mean, the fellow's name. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first baseman. Who? The guy playing first. 
Who is on first? Now, what are you asking me for? <laughs> I'm not asking you. I'm telling you who is on first. I'm asking you who's on first. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first baseman. Who is on first? Have you got a contract with a first baseman? Absolutely. Who signed a contract? Well, naturally. <laughs> it's no good unless he signs it. It's no good unless who signs it? No. So who signed it? Absolutely. <laughs> When you pay off the first baseman every month, who gets the money? Every dollar of it. <laughs> Why not? The, man, the man's entitled to it. Who is? Yes. So who gets it? Absolutely. Sometimes his wife comes down and collects it. Whose wife? Yes. <laughs> All I'm trying to find out is what's the guy's name on first base? Oh, no. Wait a minute. Don't twitch him. Don't twitch him around. What is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who is on first? I don't know. He's on third. Now, we're not talking about... <laughs> Let's get this thing straight. Now, how did I get on third base? You mentioned his name. If I mentioned a third baseman's name, who did I say is playing third? No, who's playing first? Never mind first. I want to know what's the guy's name on third. No, what's on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. He's on third. There I go. <laughs> Don't go off it. What is it you now, want? Now, who's playing third base? Now, why do you insist on putting who on third base? Now, who am I putting over there? Yes, but we don't want him there. What's the guy's name belongs on now, third? What belongs on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. Third, third base. base. <laughs> you got an outfield? Oh, yes, yes. The left fielder's name. Why? I don't know. I just thought I'd ask you. <laughs> well, I just thought I'd tell you. All right, then tell me who's playing left field. Who is playing Stay first? Stay out of the infield! Don't mention that name. What's on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who is on first? I don't know. Third, Third base. <laughs> In the left field's name? Why? Because. Oh, he's center field. <laughs> you know players as well as I do. Look, you got a pitcher on a team? Now, wouldn't this be a fine team without a pitcher? The pitcher's name? Tomorrow. You don't want to tell me today? I'm telling you, man. Then go ahead. Tomorrow. What time? What time what? What time tomorrow are you going to tell me who's pitching? Now, listen, who is not pitching? I'll who break is... your arm, you say, who's on first. Go ahead, have it your own. I want to know what's the pitcher's name. What's on second? I don't know. Third base. <laughs> you got a catcher? Well, absolutely. The catcher's name? Today. Today. Tomorrow's pitch. Now you've got it. Well, we got us a couple of days on the well, team. I can't help that. You know, I'm a catcher, too. I know that. Now I'll get behind a plate and do some fancy catching. Tomorrow's pitching on my team, and the heavy hitter gets up. Yes. Tomorrow throws the ball, the guy that puts the ball. When he puts the ball, me being a good catcher, I want to throw the guy out of first base, so I pick up the ball and throw it to who? Now, that's the first thing you've said right. I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, that's all you have to do. Is to throw the ball to first base. Yes. Now, who's got it? Naturally. <laughs> Somebody's got to catch it. Now, who caught it? Naturally. Who caught it? Naturally. Who? Naturally. Naturally. Yes. So I pick up the ball and I throw it to naturally. No, no, no. <laughs> you throw the ball to first base, then who gets it? Naturally. That's right. Now we're talking. So I pick up the ball and I throw it to naturally. You See? don't. I throw it to who? Naturally. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> You're not saying it that way. I said I throw the ball to naturally. You don't. You throw the ball to who? Naturally. Well, say that. That's what I'm saying. saying that. I throw the ball to who? Naturally. Ask me. You throw the ball to who? Naturally. That's Same it. as you. <laughs> I throw the ball to first base, then who gets it? Naturally. Who has it? Naturally. He better have it. Now, that's it. Now, I throw the ball to naturally. Whoever it is drops the ball, so the guy runs a second. 
Who picks up the ball and throws it to what? What throws it to I don't know. I don't know throws it back to tomorrow. Triple play. Yes. Another guy gets up and it's a long fly ball to be called. Why? I don't know. He's on third and I don't give a darn. <laughs> what was that? I said, I don't give a darn. Oh, that's our shortstop. It is. It is. 